Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Good morning, sleep-in service. It's good to see you, especially sleep-in service on a Memorial Day weekend. I used to dread long weekends as a pastor, and then I started figuring something out. People that come to church on a long weekend really, really, really want to be in church. So really cool things happen when we come with our hands open. So I'm glad that you guys are here today. Uh, like I said, if I have mentioned before, my name's Grant, one of the pastors. Let's get to work. Next week, we're going to do something a little different. About once a quarter here at Christ the King, we do something called an Ask Me Anything Week. We actually believe that Christianity should be a dialogue, not just a monologue. It's not just my job to come up here and yell at you for 30 minutes every single week. We actually think you should enter into the conversation. So next week is going to be another one of those weeks where I don't have any preparation. Uh, I have no idea what questions you're going to ask. It's just me and my Bible for about 35 minutes. And you can send in questions live and in real time about pretty much anything that you want to. Uh, we have a group of people in the back that sort through the questions, try and figure out exactly where the main themes that are going and then they pop them up on the screen and I don't know anything about it until it actually shows up. There's the number, 360-285-3560. People have already been texting in questions. Uh, it would be wonderful if we could talk about some of the things we've covered in the first quarter of the year. So if you remember, in January, we did a series on neighboring. So we'd love to entertain questions. You know, God, how do I, or Grant, how do I talk to my neighbors about, about Jesus? How do those things work together? Then we did a series on identity theft, where we looked for the fingerprints of God on the soul of every human being. Then Laurel and I went on an around-the-world missions trip. So maybe you've got questions about why are we working in Thailand? What are we doing in Sicily? Why is that stuff happening in Africa? Then we came back, did a few more weeks of identity theft. We had Easter, and then we disappeared for about a week on, went to Israel. So maybe you've got questions about Israel, what's happening over there. And then we've been diving into the book of Genesis. So if you've got questions, next week is your opportunity. We'll have a conversation, talk back and forth. I would love to have you enter into that conversation with me. Last week, we did Genesis 19. One of the most controversial stories in the entire first book of the Bible. After we were done, I talked to a 13-year-old kid from Christ the King who said, Pastor Grant, I was here all last summer when we did the first like 18 chapters of Genesis, and this is all I can tell you. There's a lot of weird stuff in the Old Testament. 
I mean, really, really, really weird stuff in the Old Testament. That's true. That's true. And we covered 18 chapters last year. Now we're diving into a whole bunch of new chapters. Let me recap some of the lessons we've learned so far. Genesis 18, we learned don't negotiate with God. Doesn't go well for anybody. Genesis 19, we learn don't live too close to Sodom because your influence will be undermined if you spend too much time in an area where God doesn't want you to be. We learned again, don't negotiate with God. Genesis 19, at the end of that chapter, we learned something that's really uncomfortable. Don't sleep with your dad because the resulting children will be a pain in your side for the rest of your life and to the entire nation that you're attached to. If you don't believe that's in your Bible, you should read it for yourself. Genesis 20, the husband's learned a lesson. Never lie that your wife is your sister. Just saying, okay? Genesis 21, don't laugh at angels or you'll be having children in your very late 100s. You're like, is that stuff really in the Bible? You should read it for yourself. And this week, we're going to learn from Genesis chapter 22, don't run from tests. If you got a Bible or follow along in your outline, there was too much scripture to put up on the screen, so you're going to have to follow it along or you can check out your app. But we're going to learn some things from Genesis chapter 2. You may have heard this saying before, that as long as there are final exams, there will always be prayer in school, okay? And we've all experienced that at some level. I, was, I, I did a high school degree, I did an undergraduate degree, I did a master's degree, and I remember two distinct prayers that came out of me every time I was preparing for final exams. One prayer sounded like this, God, I studied. I was diligent in my preparation, and now I ask for wisdom and recall and insight as I write this final exam. I trust in you. I trust in the mind that you gave me. I trust in the diligence of my preparation. God, you called me to work hard. I have done that. So now go with me as I write this final exam. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember praying that at least twice, but most of the time, my prayer sounded a little different. It was more like, Jesus, I haven't studied at all. I know absolutely nothing about this material, so right now I appeal to your great mercy in this moment. God, have mercy on me as I guess at these answers. God, would you please guide my pen to the right multiple choice bubble? God, I know that you love me, and now is an opportunity for you to prove it. So, as I throw up a Hail Mary in this exam, would you please have mercy on me? Amen. Apparently, most of you resonate with the second prayer much more than you did with the first prayer. I'm glad to be amongst my people. That's awesome. This weekend, we're going to talk about a test, a final exam of faith that's both challenging and troubling. The Sunday school version of Genesis 22 is not what we're going to talk about today. Before I read this passage to you, a story about a father and a son, I want to remind you about another story of a father and a son, because these two stories are tied together inextricably in their details. Let me tell you this story that I never get tired of talking about. The God of the universe saw the broken state of mankind. He saw their sin, and his heart was so broken about his creation and their isolation and their decisions to break God's command that he made a heartbreaking decision. He decided to offer his own son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He gave his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to show the love of the Father to each and every human being that he had created, and in thanks for that incredible offering, the thanks that he got 
was a mock trial, false accusations, a flogging, a crown of thorns, unbearable pain, and a piece of wood strapped across his back as he walked up a mountain where the Lamb of God was tortured and slain for people like me and people like you. Jesus obediently participated in his own sacrifice for you and me for one reason, because he trusted the plan of his Father. It's a heartbreaking story. And if the story ended with the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, this would be the most depressing place to ever be. But that's not where the story ends. The Bible says three days after the sacrifice, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Death and sin were defeated once and for all so that we would have an opportunity to be adopted into God's family. I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we walk through Genesis chapter 22. The Bible starts with these words. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac. Just so you know, Isaac, his name means laughter. Take your laughter and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Take your son and sacrifice him on a mountain. Does that remind anyone of the story of the Father and Jesus? The same mountain where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed today in a modern context is known as the Temple Mount. The Holy of Holies, those of you who traveled with me in Israel were just there. The reason that people gather along the wailing wall in Jerusalem and put their prayers in the wall is because that's as close as Orthodox Jews are allowed to get to the Holy of Holies. The Bible continues, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, how many days? Three. Does that sound familiar to anybody? On the third day, the story changes. I'm blown away by Abraham's obedience. I mean, the the night before, God tells him, you're going to take your son and sacrifice him on the top of this mountain that is the modern day situation where the temple mount was actually put to the holy of holies. You're going to take your son. And the Bible says the next morning he woke up and he went and actually did it. That just stuns me. I don't know if he tossed and turned all night. I don't know if he slept like a baby because he trusted God so much in that particular moment. But his obedience is incredible how instantaneous he moves on God's direction. The Bible continues. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Underline this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. You notice he doesn't say we will worship and then I will come back to you. He says we will come back to you. I got two questions in my mind right now. How could God ask such a thing and how could Abraham do such a thing? I mean, what kind of faith do you have to have to be willing to go to this length to prove your love for God? I have a son named Brayden. If he walked into the room right now, you could pick him out of a lineup just like this. I love him with everything that's inside of me. We look alike, we talk alike, we act alike. And the thought of being asked to give him up. 
I've talked to a lot of young dads today who are holding their children in their arms and going, Grant, I just don't know. I don't know either. I believe I'd give myself first. But this kind of sacrifice, I mean, I got a question, Christ the King. Can we get beyond the Sunday school stuff? Could you, if he asked? The Hebrew narrative here is it's kind of cold and clinical. I wonder if it's because the author just doesn't really know how to express this kind of heartbreaking emotional moment. He's devoid of emotion, almost to the point where it, where it, it borders on uh, uh, almost cynicism. You can kind of hear it in your head. Hark, Abraham, take your son and head up yon mountain where you will slay him for me. Really? And we picture Abraham. Sure, God, no problem. Just another day in the Old Testament. But do you notice what Abraham says? We will worship and then we will come back. I wonder, is there just a little glimmer of hope here? See, God had made Abraham a promise. Out of your son, your only son Isaac, this great nation is going to emerge. Well, he's doing the math in his head. There can be no great nation if my only son is dead. So I wonder in this moment if Abraham is thinking to himself, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to trust God because I'm going to put my belief in one aspect of my belief in God. I actually believe that my God can raise the dead. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe exactly that. You believe God can raise dead people. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here, and this would be a glorious waste of time. Let's keep going. We will worship, then we will come back Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the knife and the fire. Where does Abraham place the wood? On the back of his son. Where did the father place the cross? On the back of his son. Who carried the instrument of execution? Abraham thought he was carrying it. The Romans thought exactly the same way when they carried the execution out with Jesus. But I want you to notice something. Nothing happens without the permission of the Father. It's his perfect plan and his perfect purpose. And I want to remind you the reason they were doing this one more time. You and me. Let's keep going. As the two of them went on together... Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You hear the heartache? God's going to provide a lamb. The two of them are walking together into this heartbreaking place and the kid's starting to do the math and he's asking questions. Okay, we got fire, we got a knife, we got some wood, but I mean, I know how to do an offering. We've been doing these offerings to cover the sins of our family and our nation for a really long time. God, I'm not, I'm not immune to what's happening here, but I don't understand. Like if we're gonna sacrifice a lamb, shouldn't we actually have a lamb? Hey, Dad, just exactly how is this going to happen? How are we going to do this? That reminds me of another conversation that I thought about about two weeks ago when the group from Christ the King gathered early in the morning in the Garden of Gethsemane. How's this going to work? 
Jesus speaking to his father, God, is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? And then he actually heard the answer that none of us ever wants to hear, but maybe it brings some consolation to all of us. When the word from heaven is no, Jesus, there's no other way. If you ever get a no from God, you need to console yourself with this thought. Jesus got a no too. Because there was a greater purpose and a greater plan. And Jesus' response to a no was not to throw a fit, take his toys and go home. No, he said these words, your will be done. Then your will be done. And the father and the son walked into the sacrifice together. The Bible says this about Abraham and Isaac. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay, let's stop for a moment and just kind of check our Sunday school understanding of this. Here's the reality at the time. Abraham is over 100 years old at this time. Okay? If you do the math, Isaac would have been somewhere between 12 and 18. I got a question for you. In a life and death struggle between two people, would you put your money on a geriatric patriarch or a teenage boy? I'm picking the kid every single time, okay? But that's not how I pictured it. I always pictured Abraham grabs his son, wrestles him to the ground, wraps him up with a rope, but that's not actual reality. I have a question. Because I know Abraham's that old and Isaac is that strong, I've got a question. Could it be that Isaac so trusts his earthly father? And his belief that their heavenly father is working something bigger than they can understand. Could it be that just like Jesus, Isaac is actually participating and having a thy will be done moment? I don't know the answer. The text doesn't tell us. Could it be that Isaac actually gets it? And that because his father has trained him so well, he actually believes in a God that can raise people from the dead. Let's continue. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. It doesn't say he held it over his head. It doesn't say that. It just says he took it. Now this I know because I'm a dad and I'm a son at the same time. I promise you his hand was shaking. And I can hear him praying in my head, please God, please, not this cup, not this way. But somehow he summons the faith in a God who shows up in these heartbreaking moments as he reaches for the knife just like God reached for the cross. He reaches for the knife and verse 11 says this, we finally get a chance to breathe. It says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, do you think he was glad to hear his name in that moment? Abraham, here I am, he replied, don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Let's make this super practical in 2018. Abraham did not withhold his son. What are you holding back? Come on, church. What are you holding back? Some of us are holding back a secret sin. We actually think God doesn't know. 
And we keep going back to it over and over and over again because it's, it's a habit that's become a friend and we don't want to hand it over to him because if we do, we're just, we can't picture our life without it. Are you holding back your time? I don't know about you, but confession, I plan out my Google calendar and then I see where Jesus can fit in the cracks. So many of us hold back our time and, and we forget the fact that our days are numbered by God and that every breath that we take is borrowed and that maybe if we really wanted to do life right, we'd put Jesus in the center of the day and plan everything else around him. Amen. How about your wealth? Let's get really personal. Can I remind you something, Christ the King? None of it's yours. None of it's yours. It all belongs to him and we are simply stewards for a small season of life. But we withhold it, don't we? Because I got to look after me and I got to look after mine and I need all the security in the world. Otherwise, it just kind of freaks me out just a little bit. Could it be that we're withholding that? How about your priorities? Does Jesus come in about number four or five in your life? Oh boy, we can make an easy claim, right? Oh, God's number one all of the time. Really? Prove it. Prove it. How about your pain? I often see this withheld from people. People hold on to their pain because they think God just doesn't know. He just doesn't quite understand. I have no idea why he's putting me through this. And so we grab a hold of it instead of laying it down at the foot of the cross and giving it to the one person who can actually do something about pain. Parents, how about this one? How about your kids? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not giving my kids back to God. If I give my kids back to God, he's probably gonna send them to the other side of the world to talk about Jesus. And I can't stand that because I need Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter for sure. (laughs) Parents, can I remind you of something? They were his before they were yours. And the safest place your children can ever be is in the palm of Almighty God. The Bible continues. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. I've seen thickets in Israel. They all have one thing in common, really, really long thorns that you could shave with. Does that remind anybody about a Jesus who allowed human beings to put a crown of thorns around his head as he was preparing to pay a price for us? He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I'm so thankful for those words. Instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Those of you that grew up in church, you understand these words, Jehovah Jireh. They mean the Lord God provides. And he always, always, always provides what we need, not necessarily what we want. I got three amens out of it. I thought I'd get at least seven there. (laughs) always provides what we need, not necessarily what I want, because honestly, what I want is not necessarily what's best for me. The Bible continues, to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. I'll be honest with you. I got mixed feelings about this story. As a father and as a son, both, I got mixed feelings about this. I struggle with it. 
But I'd love to just share with you super briefly this morning four lessons that have helped me come to peace with this troubling Old Testament story. Four lessons. Here's the first one. Boy, we need to be reminded of this. We've come back to it every single week for the last three weeks. I'm going to say it again because it never gets old. God is God and we are not. God's God and we are not. Sometimes I don't get it, and oftentimes it offends my sensibilities, but I need to be reminded of this again. God is God, and I'm not Him. And my job is to trust Him. I've got to hear Romans chapter 9 over and over and over again. It says, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? It's a good question. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? I need to hear this every day. I think you need to hear it too. We are clay. He is potter. He gets to shape and mold exactly the way he wants to. Some pots are created for noble purposes, other for common purposes. It doesn't matter what the purpose is as long as we understand this. We are clay and he is molding and shaping us. And sometimes it's hard to subject yourself to that, let's be honest. I have to hear it over and over again. I'm the clay. He's molding me, shaping me. I have to hear Deuteronomy 29, 29 over and over again. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. I need to hear that when it doesn't make sense. I need to hear that God has, has a secret purpose and a secret plan that he's working and that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have got to actually get with his program, not ask him to sign off on mine. I need Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I need to hear this. God is God. I'm not him, but I can marry the mystery of that with the reality of something else. God's a father. Church, let me say this to you. I don't care how badly your earthly dad may have messed you up. You have a father in heaven who's perfect. And he can fill in all the gaps that your earthly dad left behind. God is a father. God gives good things to his children. There are times when God will test me. Now, can we clear something up? Not everything that's difficult in your life is a test from God. Some of them are just the product of the fact you live in a broken world. Your muffler falling off your car this morning may not actually be a test from God. It could be the product of rust, okay? Just so we understand that. The Bible says God might test me, but he will never tempt me. The Bible says God will not tempt us to move towards evil. No, God's too protective for that. God wants me to trust him with my most precious pieces. So I've got a question for you on this Memorial Day weekend. Can you trust God when the instructions seem crazy and the ask seems impossible? Jesus did. Abraham did. Isaac did. Let's keep going. Here's another lesson. God tests to reveal, not ruin. The purpose of this test was not to ruin Abraham, scar Isaac, and break God's promise. That's not what was going on here. 
The purpose of this test was to reveal a faith that Abraham was going to need going forward because, boy, he was going to need a lot of faith where God was going to take him. The purpose of this test was to reveal to Isaac God's going to provide over and over and over again. If, if you're here today and God has provided even a single breath this morning, boy, are you blessed. Amen. The purpose of this test was to share a story that Isaac would be telling his children now, it may have caused some nightmares along the way, but can you imagine Isaac sitting down with the grandkids going, you wouldn't believe this time. Grandpa Abe took me for a walk up a mountain. I thought the old guy had lost it completely, but you should have seen what God did. Maybe some of you came today, and this is the only thing you need to hear. Your trial and your test is not to ruin you. It's how to reveal how God is working in you. I was at the cancer ward three times last week. I can't believe some of the crazy talk I hear in the cancer ward. I've had people say, Grant, I hate cancer with everything in me, but you wouldn't believe what God is showing me about him walking through this. I've had people say, as poison is dripping into their veins, I've had them say, you know what? I've never shared Jesus with anybody my whole life. And then I got cancer and now I'm sitting here in this chair and God puts people beside me every single day who are receiving the same treatment that I have and they can't shut me up because all I can talk about is where the peace is coming from as I'm walking through this war. And it's beautiful. That's crazy faith talk. I've heard it from people saying, I'm actually thankful for this disease because it showed me so much about God's faithfulness and what's important. Peter suffered intense pain in his lifetime. And I want you to listen to him talk for a second to those of you that are walking through a test of your faith right now because I think his words will encourage you so much more than mine can Peter said, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may actually result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him right now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Your test is not to ruin you, it's to reveal God. It's not to wreck you, it's to give you a new revelation of God's character. And this one thing I can tell you about God, having walked through my own tests, God is faithful, God keeps his promises, God is compassionate, and he's not inhumane. A couple more. God wants one response for you, and that's the response of obedience. You'll notice I didn't say from you. He wants one response for you because obedience is always the best choice for God's children. If you read this story, Abraham said yes to God over and over and over again. If you need an application this morning, just say yes to God all this week and see how it goes for you. Just keep saying yes. Yes, it doesn't make sense. I don't, yes, I will say yes to God. Abraham is a beautiful picture of saying yes to God. If you need an opposite example, check out King Saul. King Saul said no to God's plan 
And when Samuel the prophet confronted him, he said these words, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience. God wants you to obey because obedience is a sign of trust. So I got a question. Do you trust God enough to be obedient even if he asked you something unthinkable and impossible? Do you trust him enough to be obedient with your finances? Just a question. Boy, we talk a big game about that, don't we? Oh man, God owns it all. It's all his. Really? Then why is it so hard for us to unwrap our fingers around such a tiny little portion and give it back? Do you trust him enough to let go when he tells you to let go? Obedience is always for your good. One more piece and then we're done. Uh, Before the crazy people of Christ the King hired me to do this job, I was a youth pastor, Everson Nooksack. And we had a, a high school ministry and a middle school ministry out there. Wednesday nights was crazy. Just middle school kids and high school kids coming together to talk about Jesus. It was, it was a fun season. I had the opportunity one day to meet a young man who came to our high school group. His name was Roy. Roy was invited by a friend. Roy grew up in Whatcom County. He'd never heard about Jesus ever before he came and hung out with us on Wednesday nights. I remember sharing the gospel one night. It was all news to Roy. And so he asked, hey, dude, can we get together and talk about this? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. So we went to Bob's Burgers and Brew in Sumas, Washington. I'm not sure how wise that was, but that's where we went. And, uh, and Roy ordered a shrimp dinner. And he sat there chowing down on his shrimp dinner. And we sat there and had a conversation. And I shared again, just in a very simple way, the message that I shared at the beginning of this about how God loved people so much that he sent his son Jesus. I remember Roy putting down his fork and looking at me and saying, you mean to tell me God had a kid? (laughs) I said, yeah, God had a kid. His name was Jesus. This was Roy's response. He goes, hey, Zeus, are you kidding me? He goes, half of my family's named after the son of God. I loved Roy. He was so raw and so honest. He kept coming on Wednesday nights. He even started showing up Sunday mornings for Sunday school. And I remember one weekend, we were talking about this story, Abraham and Isaac. And I watched Roy listen to the story from the first time through his lens. And he got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier until he couldn't control himself anymore. And he popped up right in the center of our group and said, that's not fair. That's not right. You don't ask a father to sacrifice his son. That's, that is cruel. That's inhumane. You don't do that. If that's the kind of God you people serve, I will not serve him. I hate him. I was so thankful that morning because Paul Fulner, God bless his heart, stood up And said, you know what, Roy? It would be fair, unfair, and cruel, and even inhumane. But don't forget this. God took his own test. You just let that settle into your heart and your head for a second. God took his own test. And when it came down to a choice between his son and you... 
God chose you. And Jesus chose you. And Jesus chose you and you and David, he chose you. And Mike, he chose you. And Russell, he chose you. Bevy chose you. Jill, he chose you. Grant, he chose you. Laurel, he chose you. He chose us. God took his own test. It makes the story a little different, doesn't it? To think that we have a father who would not withhold his own son so that we could enter into relationship with him. On this Memorial Day weekend, don't forget that. Don't withhold anything. Be willing to walk up the mountain. Because God, your father loves you and he went to great lengths to prove it. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you for this morning where we're reminded again of your great love for us. God, for those who feel unlovable and neglected, I pray that they would hear the heart cry of God today saying, I paid a price for you. I chose you. I took my own test so that I could show you how much you're loved. God, may the people of Christ the King not withhold anything from you. I pray that we would lay it all down, be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of your son and your great love for us. So God, as we walk out of this building today into the beautiful sunshine, may we be willing to make the same sacrifice for you that you made for us. God, we lay our lives down before you and we say, Lord Jesus, use us today to bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.